The following audio is from the Ridge Church in Oak Ridge, Tennessee. For more information about Ridge Church, please visit ridgechurch.cc. We hope you enjoy this message from the Ridge. Early believers not shut up about the name of Jesus because they could not deny what they had seen and heard. They could not stop. Now, here in America, I think we have a problem with boldness when it comes to the name of Jesus. I think we've lost our sense, uh, our, our edge of, of, of boldness when it comes to, to speaking and, and living out our faith. If you're a, a believer, I, I don't know where you are. I'm just going to, I'll just use myself for an example because I know me best, right? And so I know that there are times in my life where I lose my sense of boldness, my edge to be bold for the name of Jesus, to pray out loud for people that need to be prayed for, to give hope through the name of Jesus to those who need it most. And I know, like, oh, you're a pastor, you're supposed to... Listen, it's easier for me to stand here before you right now this morning and preach the gospel than it is for me to do it sometimes on Tuesday morning when I'm in Starbucks. Just being honest. And I bet, I bet it's easier for you to act like a believer here at 11 o'clock than it is for you at work at 9 a.m. on Monday morning at Starbucks. <laughs> a lot of baristas in the room, all right? <laughs> so I, we've, I think we've lost our edge to be bold at times. At this point in history of the church, when we look at Acts there are thousands of people who are, who are now believers. The believers have gone from 12 to 120 to, to thousands because uh, Peter begins to walk in the boldness and the other apostles, they begin to walk in this boldness in the Spirit of God. And so just to catch us up to speed, in Acts chapter 1, we see Jesus has been crucified. He has resurrected from the grave. He has appeared to his disciples again and to, to many others. In Acts chapter 1, we see Jesus, he sa- t- says to his apostles right before he ascends into heaven, he says, and you will be my what? Witnesses, right? He says, you will be my witnesses, meaning you will reflect everything that I have taught you. You will reflect everything that I have shown you. You will reflect the gospel to those around you. You will be my witnesses, and you will receive power when you receive the Holy Spirit. He says, this Holy Spirit, me in the Spirit, God in the Spirit, will be in you, will be amongst you, will be around you, and you will walk in this power. And so in Acts chapter 2, we see Peter stand up and he preaches his first sermon at, at Pentecost and he stands before thousands of people and he looks at them and he gives them the most unfriendly sermon you've ever heard in your entire life. Peter looks at all of them and says, you killed Jesus. His blood is on your hands. And so repent and be baptized. And you know what they did? They received Jesus. <laughs> they repented of their sin and they were baptized on the spot. Thousands of people come to know Christ that day. And so this movement begins, the church begins, this, this movement of believers begin to, to follow in the steps of Jesus. And so now it's gone from uh, uh, 12 to hundreds to thousands of people are beginning to, to learn and to walk in the name of Jesus. And so they begin to, to gather with one another and they begin to gather in homes. They begin to gather in large groups and small groups and love one another and care for one another and pray for one another. And they begin to walk in this boldness because you see, not everybody in Israel liked the fact that they were following in the steps of Jesus. In fact, the Roman government, they didn't like it. They saw this as a threat to their government. The religious leaders 
who did not believe that Jesus was the Son of God, they saw this as a threat to their way of life, to their religion, and so they didn't like it. And so these people, there were people that did not like this, and so out of this anger and frustration, there was persecution. And so in Acts 3 and 4, we see Peter preach the gospel yet again. A man is healed, and so as soon as this man is healed, he begins to to run all around the temple telling everybody that he had been healed in the name of Jesus, that Jesus had healed him. Not Peter and John, but Jesus had healed him. And so he begins to run and tell everybody, and this makes the religious leaders in the temple mad, and so they arrest Peter and John, and they bring them before the council, and Peter begins to preach to them again. And I love what happens next is these men look at Peter and John, and they say, here's the deal. You keep talking about Jesus, and we're going to kill you. And I love what Peter says in Acts chapter 4. He says, we cannot help but speak of what we have seen and heard. He's like, can't stop, won't stop. And so when they release them to go back, The Bible says that they go back to the other believers and they gather together in the room and they begin to pray. And they begin to pray, not for their safety, not that they would be able to walk invisible amongst those that hated them and still be able to talk the name of Jesus. What they actually begin to pray is they begin to pray for more boldness. Let's look at it. Acts chapter 4. You don't have to turn that. I'll just read it to you real quick. Acts chapter 4 says this. It says, For truly in this city, this is their prayer, it says, There were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, talking about the Roman rule, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And listen to this. It says, And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all what? boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant jesus and it says and when they had prayed together the room began to shake you know why i believe it began to shake because god was going yes what i'm talking about that's awesome (laughs) like he's getting turned up i don't have enough street cred to say turned up but i just said it and I don't care because, I mean, he's just like, oh, it's awesome. They pray for boldness to speak louder, to heal more, for God to do more. Not to be quiet, but to be bold. Even though they were just told, if you say the J name, if you talk about the R word, we're going to kill you. Good enough. (laughs) I'm about to scream louder. And so they began to walk in boldness. Here in the book of Acts, we're going to see the word boldness a lot. Because they were about Jesus together. It made them bold. You see the word boldness. You see the word together. You see the word Jesus all throughout the book of Acts. Because the body of believers, they were together, they were about Jesus, and because they were about Jesus together, they were bold together. And here in America, for the most part, again, I think we've lost our sense, our edge to be bold. You see, here in America, we are fairly safe when it comes to speaking the name of Jesus. Like, we can gather here together today without the fear of the government breaking bad on us. Like we, we can gather together in our workplaces and have Bible studies 
We can get together with people on the street and, and talk about Jesus. We can do these things. And, and so here, I, I will say this. You're like, yeah, but well, what about that whole Charleston thing? That was a tragic, tragic, tragic event, not only for believers, but for America. Absolutely horrible. But even though things like that happen from time to time, we are still one of the safest places in the world to talk about the name of Jesus. Do you know that there are places in the world that even speaking the name of Jesus will land you in prison, maybe even death? In places like North Korea, one of the largest populated countries in the world, it is illegal to be a Christian. You can't even be a Christian. Not much, much less even talk about the name of Jesus. In fact, if you own a Bible, if it's found out by the government that you own a Bible in North Korea, up to three generations of your family can be thrown into prison labor camps for the rest of their lives for even owning a Bible. In places like Somalia, one of the most dangerous places in the world to be a believer, you can be put to death for being a Christian. If you're having a conversation with your family, I just read about a martyr not too long ago in Somalia who told their family about the gospel, and their family went and turned them in and had them put to death for even speaking the name of Jesus. In places like Syria, if it's found out that you are gathering with other Christians in a church, in a place, it's very frequent for that place to be bombed. It's dangerous to be a Christian in a lot of the world. But yet, even though it's that dangerous to the point of death for many believers across the world, they're still bold. They cannot help but speak of what they have seen and heard. We live in a safe place, and the comfort of safety, I think, takes away our boldness at times. We have lost our edge to be bold. And when I start to get into my little shell, when I start to lose my boldness, when I start to, to try to walk around and do life in this little Christian subculture bubble that I create, it always helps me to go back to the book of Acts and to read about the boldness of the believers in Acts. So that's what we're going to do. Let's go to Acts chapter 5 together. It'll also be on the screen back here behind me uh, as well, and you can follow along there with us. So here's what's taking place. I want to get to, Wesley did an amazing job last week uh, doing the first part of Acts chapter 5. I want to look at this last part of Acts chapter 5 this week and look at the boldness of the believers here and, and, and gain some insight and some knowledge and a next step for us uh, as believers as well. And so Peter and John, uh, they, uh, as we catch up to speed here, they, um, again in Acts 4, they've been arrested, they've been released, told not to speak about the name of Jesus, but they don't stop. They're speaking even bolder, even louder. And so more and more and more people are coming to know Jesus, that are coming to, to believe and put their faith and their hope and their trust in, in Jesus, and they're beginning to follow Jesus. And know, So now thousands of people are starting to come into the city of Jerusalem. This little city, which wasn't very populated at the time, is now growing because all of these people are coming to Jerusalem to hear about Jesus. They know something is going on, and so they want to come and see what's taking place. And so they began to come, and so now instead of people being in the temple listening to the religious leaders, uh, the Sadducees and the Pharisees teach in the temple, they're now gathering around guys like Peter and John and Thomas and the other apostles as they began to teach about Jesus. 
And so not only does this make the Roman government very nervous because they start to see this movement, this uprising take place, and they begin to think that this revolt is beginning to to take place in, in these places that they are ruling. Not only that, but now you also have the religious leaders in there getting worried about this movement that is taking place. And so it makes them very nervous. And so they arrest the apostles, all of them. They arrest them and throw them into prison. And we see this in Acts chapter 5. It gets so big and out of control that they get nervous, and so they arrest them. And then the Scripture tells us that in the middle of the night, after everyone has, has walked away, an angel of the Lord comes, opens the cell, tells them to, to go and preach the gospel in the temple the next morning. So it's crazy. They listen to his voice, and they do what he says. It's amazing how this happens. And so they go, and they begin to preach the gospel in the temple that morning. The religious leaders show back up to to get them out of prison and and to bring them before the council to put them on trial. And they find that the prison cell is empty. And so they start looking for them and trying to find out where they're at. And then they find out that they are teaching the gospel in the temple. So that makes them mad. But there are hundreds of people gathered around them. And so the conversation is, is, is like this. They say, hey, here's the deal. We can't just go and arrest them in front of all of these people because they might get angry. We don't want to do that and cause a scene, and they might actually kill us for arresting them. So they send one of the guards and some of the guards to arrest them, and it's really an awkward conversation because they go in, and they're like, hey, it's kind of dangerous in here for me to arrest you. Could you just come with me? Yeah. (laughs) And they do. They're like, all right. So they go. It's bold, isn't it? It doesn't stop there. So they go and they come before the religious leaders. And we're going to pick this up in Acts chapter 5, starting in verse 27. Look at this conversation that they have. Listen to this. It says, And when they had brought them, they set them before the council, and the high priest questioned them, saying, We strictly charged you not to teach in this name. Remember that? It said, Don't talk about the J name. Don't say the J word. Don't say the R word. We can't talk... Re- Uh, We can't talk resurrection. We can't talk Jesus. Don't say it. We told you not to do it, but yet you're still doing it. And it's crazy that the name of Jesus is still changing things, isn't it? Yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging on a tree. And so yet again, we keep seeing Peter say this over and over and over and over again. He keeps preaching the same sermon to these people. I love this guy because it's exactly what I do. I preach the same sermon to us every single Sunday. We're sinners. We need Jesus. He's been resurrected to give us life. Let's put our hope and our trust in him for everything that we have. Amen? And this is the same sermon that Peter keeps preaching over and over and over. You killed him, but God raised him from the dead. Now, why is it that he's able to say that they killed him? For the same reason that we're able to say that we had a hand. You didn't. I didn't. They didn't. We didn't nail those nails into his hands. But our sin did. Because we're sinners. We had a hand. But yet... God took those sins and he paid for them. Amen? And he gave us life and he covered our debt that we could never cover through his blood, through his sacrifice on the cross. And Peter preaches this sermon to them in the face of persecution, knowing that they're arrested and about to, um, it's just about to go badly for them, and they know this. 
We must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior. That word savior made them nervous. To give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to these things. And so is the Holy Spirit. He says, hey, we didn't just hear about this. We saw this. You see Thomas? You see this guy right here? Thomas? Thomas, tell him about how you put your hands in, a, in, in, the, in the wounds. Tell him about it. You saw it. Remember that time we were all up in the upper room and we thought that Jesus had been dead and Mary come running up in the upper room, busted through the door and said that he's alive. Remember that? So we went and we looked ourselves and guess what? We saw him. We are witnesses to these things. It's not just something that we heard about. It's something that we've seen. You've seen Jesus do some amazing things, have you not? You've seen Jesus do things that, that maybe you thought you would never see in your entire life. If anything else, you're like, yeah, but I've never seen him heal somebody. I prayed for him to heal my grandmother or, or this person or that person. I never saw him do that. Or maybe you did see him heal somebody. But you know what? At the very least, if you're a believer, you know what you've seen Jesus do? Save you. You are witnesses to these things. Now, I don't know what your life was like before you met Jesus, but I've heard some stories and it is amazing that he even thought to love you, is it not? I don't know about you, but I know it is for me. And so you are witnesses to these things. They were witnesses to these things. And so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. Verse 33, it says, When they heard this, they were enraged and wanted to kill them. But a Pharisee in the council named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law, held in honor by all the people, stood up and gave orders to them, the men, uh, to order the men outside for a little while. And so this, this guy, Gamaliel, he is a very um, revered, very well thought of, sage, very wise man that everybody looked to. So he was very popular. And as a matter of fact, what we find out a couple of chapters later is that he is actually Paul. He is his mentor. And so Paul, who was Saul, becomes Paul. We'll see his story next week. He was persecuting and having Christians murdered at his hand. This man was his mentor. And so this man stands up and he says, I got something I need to say. Let's move them out of the room for just a minute. Listen to what he says. He says, and he said to them, men of Israel, take care what you are about to do with these men. For before these days, Theodos rose up claiming to be somebody. And a number of men, about 400, joined him. He was killed, and all who followed him were dispersed and came to nothing. After this, he gives another example. Him, Judas, the Galilean, not the same Judas that had walked with Jesus, this is a different guy, rose up in the days of the census and drew away some of the people after him. He too perished, and all who followed him were scattered. So in the present case, I tell you, keep away from these men and let them alone. So basically what he's saying, he's saying, hey, you know what? We've seen this happen before. We've seen people rise up. We've seen revolts happen. We've seen leaders step up into the spotlight and try to lead people to revolt against these things. And you know what happened? They died. And when they died, the rest of them went away. It just stopped. It, nothing else happened. But he gives a warning. He says, so in the present case, I tell you, keep away from these men and let them alone. For if this plan or this undertaking is of man, it will fail. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You will not stop it. You cannot stop it. You might even be found opposing God. 
So this man stands up and says, hey, you know what? If God's not doing this, it's going to go away. But if he is, uh uh-oh. If this is of God, it doesn't matter what you do. You can't stop it. So they take his advice. And when they had called in the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. And so this word beat, like this is not them thumb wrestling the apostles, all right? Like this is a serious beating. In fact, your, your Bible might even say flog. And so what that means is that they would have taken a cat of nine tails, tipped with very sharp objects, and they would have beat the apostles, each one of them, one by one. Could you imagine having your friends and having to watch your friends be beaten severely, having the flesh ripped out of their skin or off of their body, and knowing that you're next, knowing that here is the consequence. If you continue to talk about Jesus, you're going to continue to get this, and eventually it's going to kill you. So don't talk about the J guy. Don't say his name. Don't talk about a resurrection. Don't talk about his healing power. Don't talk about salvation. Don't talk about him as Savior. Just shut up. And don't be bold. And so one by one, they were beaten and let go. Then they left, verse 41, then they left the presence of the council and they went back to fishing collecting taxes and shutting up. Oh, wait, it doesn't say that. It says they left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. Are you kidding me? (laughs) At this point, most of us are out, are we not? They leave rejoicing. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. Can't stop, won't stop. They're not, they're not stopping. They're not quitting. They're not giving up. In fact, they're just getting louder. They're just getting bolder. Now, why and how are they able to do this? The Holy Spirit. Because they're walking in the power of the Holy Spirit. They're walking in the name of Jesus. The Apostle Paul in Philippians 3, as he's writing this letter to the church in Philippi, he's talking about himself, and we'll learn a little more about who Paul is in a week or two. But Paul says this in Philippians 3, 7 and 8, he says, But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. And so you have to understand about Paul. Paul was a very powerful man before Jesus saved him, before he met a resurrected Jesus. Paul was persecuting Christians. He was having them put to death. He was feared. When he walked into the room, people shut up. People ran. He was powerful, he was wealthy, he was smart. And he says, but all of these things I counted as lost for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. He's saying, I don't care about these things. I don't care if you like me. I don't need to be popular. I don't need to be wealthy. I don't need to have all of these things. All I need is Jesus.
this. I counted all his loss. So what happened? Where did, where did this boldness go? How do we look at these early believers and, 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 and how, do we, how do we regain this edge of boldness? Let me, let me just suggest a few things real quick and we're going to take communion in just a moment. You see, bold is taking advantage of opportunities and creating opportunities when there isn't one. Being bold as a believer means that we're going to take advantage of the opportunities that are set before us to to be bold. And then when there are not opportunities set before us, we're going to do our best to create opportunities to be bold. So essentially what I'm saying is, is we've got to be bold wherever we are, whenever it is. To be bold in our normal, everyday lives. To be bold. To look for opportunities to be bold. To look for an opportunity to, to pray with someone when there's an opportunity to pray for someone. To look for an opportunity to invite someone to, to church or, or to just share the gospel with them right there where you're at. To let someone know that even though they may not feel loved and accepted, that Jesus loves them and accepts them. Even though they feel like no one wants to save them, Jesus gave his life to save them. So it's part of it is, is looking for opportunities. How often do we wake up in the morning and we just ask the Lord to give us an opportunity to be bold? Have you done that? When's the last time that you did that? When's the last time that I've done it? I thought about that this morning as I was getting ready to, to say this before you today. Because listen, here's, here's what I'm saying to you, just confession and honesty. I don't pray that prayer as much as I should. In fact, some of the prayers that I pray, I think that other believers in other parts of the country or other parts of the world would simply laugh at the things that I pray for. God bless me. God give me. God help me. God pour out this on me. When they're praying, God, just make us bold today so that people see you. So how often do we ask the Lord to give us an opportunity to be bold? And then secondly, boldness is creating opportunities when there isn't one. We can't be afraid to to just try to create an opportunity for us to, to be bold. I think one of the easiest ways that we can do that is just simply engaging people and asking them questions. Have you ever asked somebody, maybe even a complete stranger, have you ever asked them, hey, what do you care about? What matters to you? Or have you ever asked the person, you know, not not that that question of, hey, where do you go to church? Because you're going to get an answer to that. They're going to tell you they go to church somewhere even though they've not been in like eight years, right? Well, I go to a church down the street. Who's the pastor there? Oh, I don't know. I don't know. But you go to church there. Yeah, cool. Have you ever asked somebody, hey, what, Benny, what keeps you up at night, man? What do you care about? Like, what, do you, what do you worry about? Lindsay, what do you want for your kids? Like, what do you, like, what do you, what, like, asking questions to engage someone, to, to get them to, to open up so that you can have an opportunity to talk about Jesus. Because here's, here's what I believe, is that if you're asking those questions, chances are you've allowed Jesus to step into those same situations for you. So you're just showing them that he can do the same for them. This is how this whole movement started. It was born out of boldness. 
And if anything else, if you're a believer here this morning, let me ask you this. Are you not glad that someone was bold to you when they told you about Jesus? You see, I would be willing to bet that someone else told you about Jesus. Whether it was a pastor preaching a sermon, whether it was a a parent or a grandparent telling you about Jesus, a Sunday school teacher, a small group leader, someone sharing Jesus with you at at where you work or go to school or, or through an athletic event, something somewhere, someone was bold enough to speak the name of Jesus to you. And Jesus saved you. And so I ask you this. Here at the Ridge, it's such a celebration. It's such an amazing event when we have baptisms here at the Ridge. And we don't have baptisms here today, but we will soon. Maybe you need to be baptized. And so on your Connect card, you should let us know that, that you want to be baptized. That's your next step as a believer. But when we do baptisms here, one of the things that I love most is is back behind this screen back here is the baptisms pool. And when people get into the waters there, a lot of them will say, here is my story. Here is how Jesus changed my life. And part of their story many times is them saying that this person told me about Jesus and I met him because they were bold. Don't you want that to be part of your story? that someone is standing in these waters and as they begin to tell their story, they're talking about how you stepped into the boldness that the Holy Spirit was giving you and that you walked in that, that you listened to his voice, that you did what he said and that you spoke the name of Jesus to somebody. Don't you want that to be part of your story? Not for you, but for the glory of God. I do. If you don't want it, I'll take it. I want that. I want that. But... Because it gives God all the glory. And out of this boldness, the church is formed. So what would this city look like if you and I were bold? What would this city look like if you and I began each day by praying, God, let me walk in boldness today. God, give me an opportunity for boldness today. God, give me the courage to to create an opportunity to be bold today. What if we started our day out like that? What would this city look like? What would the place that you work at look like? What would happen to the people there? What would happen in your family If you prayed this prayer and when you sat down on the bed next to your children and they asked you about Jesus, that you were actually able to tell them about Jesus. What would your family be like? What would the gym that you go to look like? What would the school that you go to look like? What would the park that you frequent with your children, what would it look like? I bet it would be different. And I bet it would be better. As we take communion today, I want to ask you to, if you're a believer this morning, I'm going to ask you to to pray a prayer of boldness. Before you come and and partake of of the bread and the juice, before you uh, take of the, the body and the blood, that you simply take a few moments and just ask God to give you the courage to walk in boldness. Because here's the deal, here's the thing, hear me when I say this, you can't do this by yourself. This is not you pulling yourself up by your bootstraps going, that's a good message, Pastor. I'm going to go be bold. Oh, and let me say this too. I didn't say this in the first service, but I just feel like I need to say it. Here's the thing. Bold is not you ranting about something on Facebook. 
Bold is you living your life that reflects the gospel so that people who are far from God will be awakened to life in Christ. So would you pray this morning, if you're a believer this morning, would you simply pray a prayer of courage and boldness to ask God to to fill you with the power of the Holy Spirit to make you bold because it is the Holy Spirit in you and through you that makes you bold. It's not you. You can be bold for a little while, but you're going to fall flat on your face. But Jesus, he does not fail. He does not fail. Would you stand to your feet? The band's going to come and play. And as they play, I just invite you to, to come and take communion together. At your discretion, if you want to come and take communion. We don't have a, a, a formal membership here at the Ridge, so you don't have to be a member here at the Ridge to come and take communion. You just need to be a believer. And you need to take an opportunity to, to ask the Lord to, to re- forgive you of your sins. You need to come to the table with a clean heart. If you're not a believer this morning, you know what? You need to be bold as well. I don't believe that you ended up here by accident this morning just because. I believe that you ended up here this morning because the Holy Spirit drew you here. And I believe that he drew you here so that you could hear that above anything else, Jesus loves you. He wants to save you. And by simply crying out to him and, and saying, Jesus, forgive me of my sins, save me. The scriptures are very clear to us that he saves us. That he saves us figure out the rest of that stuff later after that and maybe you're even thinking you know what i would love to be bold like i would love to be bold but i've got my life is kind of jacked up like i'm sort of in a mess right now i trust me i've been there or maybe you think to yourself i've not even been a believer very long how can i be bold i don't know anything about about the bible i don't i don't know anything really about jesus go and read the Gospels. Because every time, listen, every time someone met Jesus, they immediately went and told somebody else about Jesus. When the man at the, at the, um, at the waters, at the healing pool was, was healed by Jesus, he went and he told others about Jesus. When they dropped the man uh, on the mat uh, through the roof of the house, he stood up and he ran and he told people about Jesus. When the man who was healed on the steps of the church was healed in Acts chapter 3, he ran through the temple telling people about Jesus. Because the Holy Spirit empowered him. Romans 1.16 says this, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And this is the Apostle Paul simply saying this, You don't have to be ashamed of Jesus or the gospel, the good news of Jesus, because it's not up to you if someone gets saved or not. It's up to Jesus. You just need to be bold. You just need to be 